0: And final message about this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. It's a rich, rich passage, and it has told us so much about Jesus, both who He is and and what it is that He came to do. It's told us much of our need for salvation. We saw last week much about our thirst. And we've seen how Jesus provides for that need, how Jesus alone is the only one who will ever quench our thirst. And this morning, as we look at the the end of this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and we see the end result of that that encounter, I think that as we dig into these verses, we're going to find a surprising challenge. Especially this year with this, this dual focus that we've tried to put before you uh, of of Asking the Lord by His grace, would He take us deeper in our discipleship and would He take us wider in our outreach? I think this passage really speaks in a surprising way to that second focus of going wider in our outreach. So I want you to think about that. When you think about your outreach, when you think about our outreach as a church, who are you thinking about? What types of people, what people's names, Come to your mind. Is it the usual suspects? Or might this passage challenge us to rethink that just a little bit? I want to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Uh, John 4, verses 27 through 42. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. May God richly bless this morning the preaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's pray together. Once again, we stand in need of your help we can't just approach these words with our human understanding and get what you desire us to get from them so Holy Spirit come supernatural power supernatural assistance reveal to us again Jesus the Savior of the world Father I pray that you challenge this morning our preconceived ideas You'd challenge whatever limits we may have placed on gospel power. And that you would do a work of grace in all of us. We ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. The meat of this passage, of these verses, I think, uh, can be organized under three headings. That's how we're going to do it this morning. You've got them there in the worship folder. They're on the screen. We'll start with the disciples' misunderstanding. Then the woman's witness, and then we'll look at this ripe harvest. It's number one. The disciples returned from their errand. They had run into town to get food, and boy were they surprised when they got back. Verse 27 Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you know better? Jesus, don't you know, haven't you heard, that talking with a woman is a waste of time? No, seriously. Seriously. With such a low view of women in that culture and in that day, learned, scholarly, religious folks, rabbis, wouldn't dare converse with a woman. It's a complete waste of time. And Jesus, this is no ordinary woman, right? We've already covered in detail, she's a Samaritan woman. It's even worse. And so these things are running through the disciples' minds, but they're not coming out of their mouths, because in in a rare exercise and demonstration of restraint... (laughs) They're keeping them to themselves. Maybe it would have just been too awkward to ask these things because the woman, she's, she's still there. <laughs> Whatever it was, John through divine inspiration and Jesus through divine knowledge knows that they are marveling. <laughs> Which is understandable enough given all the social convention of, of the day. Um, I'm use, one of the commentaries I'm using on, the, on John's gospel is John Calvin's commentary. And I love the, the little parenthetical thing he put here. He said they should have marveled. You know what? These disciples should have been marveling, but not that Jesus would talk to this woman. That Jesus would have condescended to them. They should have been marveling that Jesus had stooped so low to them and used that they're nobodies, men of no repute, And he lifted them up to this glorious station of being his disciples and his followers. They should have been marveling, but it should not have necessarily been that he was talking with this woman. They don't understand. They don't understand why Jesus would stoop so low. They also don't understand why when they present Jesus with this food that they just ran into town to get, presumably because he asked them to, he won't eat. Worse than that, He says he's already got food. I've got food you don't know anything about. Well, then why did you (laughs) say? And again, they're asking in disbelief to each other, not to Jesus, but he knows. And so he will go on to explain to them, to reveal their misunderstanding. And I've told you before, you you need to pay attention in John's gospel to all the misunderstandings pay attention because people all over the place are misunderstanding okay? we, we saw it first in chapter 2 with the religious leaders they were misunderstanding right? tear down the temple rebuild it in 3 days it took us 46 years right? they are misunderstanding then with Nicodemus misunderstood how, how can you go back into your mother's womb what, what do you mean born again The Samaritan woman already, right? Living water? Sir, this well is deep. You don't have anything to draw with? Are you greater than Jacob? And now, you've got food already? And so Jesus clears up their misunderstanding. Fellas, this is a different kind of food. My food, my my sustenance, my delight... Is fulfilling the mission, is living out the purpose that the Father gave me in in taking on flesh and in coming to earth. Jesus is fully committed to carrying out every aspect of the Father's will. And that's something that that John will develop to much greater detail as we move into into this gospel. And now here's another little aside for you. It's not the main thrust of this passage, but if we would. Consider ourselves being in the process of being conformed to Christ. Right? Conformed to His image, being made more and more like Christ. And we look and see what His food is. What His delight is, the thing that sustains Him. Friends, nothing will bring us as much delight and joy as obediently walking in the purpose, and the plan that He has given us. Nothing will ever, ever, ever satisfy you like that will. Now, that doesn't make it easy. (laughs) It doesn't make it easy at all. But it does make it worthwhile. Jesus here is so taken, so preoccupied with his father's mission and with this opportunity that has presented itself, right? Seeking out this woman, divine knowledge, knowing she's going to be at this well. That's why he had to go through Samaria. Revealing her need and her thirst. And now to see how many, many people will be ushered into the kingdom through this. Well, it, it's easy to see how you might kind of forget about earthly food for a, a while. How that just kind of fades to the background. and Oh, yeah, well, I guess I was hungry. It's a decent segue to the second point. The woman's witness. Verses 28 and 29. I want to start with what she says, and then I want to look at some of the other details. Because what she says to the townspeople is noteworthy. There are lots of ways that that you and I might start a conversation with somebody about the Lord. Lots of ways that we could choose to talk to somebody about Jesus. Her choice, come see a man that told me all I ever did. Now, this is interesting to me on a couple of levels. And my my question deep down is: what is the woman most amazed by? Why is it that this is what she goes back and tells people? He told me all I ever did. Is she simply amazed at his ability to know her past? He's got supernatural knowledge. Is he some kind of a seer or a prophet? What? This is amazing. Is that the thing that grabs her and makes such a deep impression on her, or is it something else? Now, obviously to say he told me all I ever did, well, that's an exaggeration. There wasn't time for Jesus, and it's not recorded here, that he began with her birth and then told her every single detail and everything that she ever did in her life take forever so it's an obvious exaggeration to say that he told me all I ever did but he did tell her the biggest things he did tell her the worst things the things that she was most ashamed of the things she was doing her best to try to hide from those around her what with coming to the well at midday and all to miss the crowd And so for Jesus to tell her those things was to tell her all she had ever done. It's what had defined her life. To her, that's, that's all of who she was. She was held prisoner by that. And, and so I think, I think that's what she's most amazed by. I think that's why she runs back to the townspeople and says, come meet a man who told me all I ever did. Because it's more than just he had this knowledge He had this knowledge. He knew all about me. And he offered me living water anyway. That blows the doors off of everything she's ever known. No doubt every other relationship she had been a part of had been give to get. Pay to play. You get what you deserve. But this news just seems too good to be true. Because that's exactly what it is. It's the good news of Jesus' gospel. That someone with a wretched past like hers could be offered life by Jesus. And this is This is what she runs back and tells the townspeople. Basically confirming every whisper and rumor and sideways condescending glance that she'd ever been the subject of. He told me all I did. See, her former source of shame was now her great source of joy. Because Jesus met her in it. What made her want to run away from people and hide now made her want to run to people and tell. Right? She, she left her water jar. She was in a hurry. Oh yeah, is that why I came to the well? See, that's the instinctive response of the recipient of radical grace. Drop everything and go. Which must cause all of us, myself included, to ask, what does my sluggishness reveal about my view of the gospel that I've received? It's impossible for radical grace once received to remain bottled up inside of us like some well-kept secret. So she runs. Says, he told me all. And asks the somewhat hesitant question of them, right, could, could this be the Christ? Right? See, she doesn't even have it all together yet. In fact, he just told her, right, in the last week's passage, I who speak to you am he, right? He told her, <laughs> explicitly <laughs> All right so she's still a little doubtful putting it together but has enough faith to run and to tell and to entreat and say would y'all come and you know what they listen they come <laughs> and so the third point that we've got to look at is this this ripe harvest now I got a little bogged down in the middle of this passage this week trying to figure out all that was involved in Jesus words here about the harvest four months more things like that and I was thinking a little too abstractly because in the middle of verse 35 when Jesus says lift up your eyes that's not metaphorical That doesn't just simply mean, oh, well, you need to be aware. You need to come and realize something. No, it actually means lift up your eyes. Because when you lift up your eyes, you will look and you will see, there's this huge throng of Samaritans approaching. And they're being led by this lady and she's waving her arms and shouting or whatever she's doing. Come on, y'all. By the droves, they were coming. Verse 30, right? They, she went, she told him, and they were coming. So this isn't the theoretical possibility of people coming into the kingdom. Jesus is saying, look, here they are right now. They're coming. And realizing that, this is not some abstract metaphor, right? Helped me make a little more sense of some of these other things Jesus was saying. So verses 36 through 38, he's he's talking about the different folks involved in the harvest. Obviously, somebody's got to sow the seed if somebody's later going to come and reap the harvest. And, And there's been a lot of sowing going on leading up to this point. Lots of God's people and prophets had gone before, right? Predicting, foretelling the coming of Messiah. Even as recently as John the Baptist, who'd likely been in this area, Right? The last of the great prophets to come and say, prepare the way of the Lord. Messiah is coming. And so for a long, long time, lots and lots of foretelling and lots and lots of waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing was happening. But now that Jesus is here, right? And he's even indicating that with some of what he's saying, Right? The speed with which the harvest will be reaped. Right, This is a new day in time. A new day has dawned. The harvest is about to come in rapidly. Uh, the prophet Amos, you can turn there sometime later if you want to, Amos chapter 9 foretells this, foretells a time where the, the, the reaper would overtake the sower. Right? Things will begin to move so quickly. People will be coming into the kingdom so fast Verse 39 says, many, many. Because if this woman's fledgling didn't even have it all together testimony yet, right? This, could he be, right? That kind of fails on some levels of evangelism training, right? But it was effective nonetheless. Many believed in him and they get to Jesus and they say, hey, we want to hear more. Would you stay with us? And he does. And many more believed right and and they didn't they didn 't even ask for a miracle they didn 't there was no sign required they just believed based on what the woman had said and then based on what jesus said and and that that comment there at the end of the passage uh, where they 're saying it 's no longer just because of what you said that we believe right it 's because we 've heard from jesus that 's not meant to disparage what the woman has said but just to confirm it right You came along and you were still kind of asking a question, I guess, but now we 've been with jesus and we've we 've heard from him and and we believe that this is in fact the Savior of the world. And so it's a new day that's dawned and here we have the Samaritans coming which is confirming the, the, and fulfilling the promise that indeed all the nations of, of the world will be blessed. That the extension of God's reign will in fact reach to the farthest corners. Now, there's one final way that I want you to think about this ripe harvest. And this will get back to what I mentioned before we read the passage. About who it is that we're thinking about when we think about a harvest, when we think about our outreach, when it comes to us going wider uh, in our outreach. And so I want us to think one more time about the context of this passage where this encounter takes place in in the whole of John's gospel. In in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, we've got two encounters between Jesus and an individual. First Nicodemus in chapter 3, and now the Samaritan woman. Now, one of these encounters is explicitly about the new birth, right? You need to be born again right if if you're ever going to see or understand much less enter god's kingdom you have to be born again you must be born from above because naturally you're you're dead you're dead in sin and rebellion you can't see can't believe can't understand but this other encounter is also about the new birth just implicitly so both individuals that jesus encounters need to be born again And so I was thinking about those two encounters. One example, one encounter is ordinary, and one is outrageous. Which is which? Which is is the outrageous example of a person that needs to be born again? and which is very ordinary. And I would argue for you this morning that that the Samaritan woman, that's the ordinary example of the need for the new birth. Of course she needs to be born again. Look at her life. She's a hot mess. Five husbands? Come on. Living with a man you're not married to? Duh, of course this is the one who needs to be born again. Now Nicodemus, there's the outrageous example. You mean to tell me he needs to be born again? This this upright moral religious leader At our at our session meeting last week, the session just started working through a, a, a little brief article, but it's going to take us some time. It's by a, a pastor named Ray Ortland, And it's about cultivating a gospel culture in our church. That if we get the doctrine of the gospel right, which is important, we should do that at great pains, but if, if we do that, if we get the gospel doctrine right, it will inevitably create a gospel culture in our church that it will have an impact on, on us and, and how we do church and our, our very ethos everything if we get our doctrine right then our culture will change and the, and the first point of that article was that gospel the gospel doctrine of regeneration right? that's the fancy word for being born again the gospel doctrine of regeneration creates a culture of humility Because you see, the doctrine of the new birth of regeneration says we all must be born again because we are all dead in sin and rebellion. And the humbling part of that doctrine is that you can't just be a a little bit dead. You can't be kind of dead, right? Right? Death is a binary thing, right? You are or you are not. And that's humbling. That, that, that's humbling, especially for those of us who might have thought we were just a, a little bit dead. When we lock arms with someone at the foot of the cross, Samaritan woman, for example, and have to admit that we stand in equal need of the grace of God, of receiving the new birth. And so we've got two examples, almost back to back here in John's Gospel. Extremes, if you will, of folks who need the new birth. But will you look at the outcome Will you look at the outcome of these two encounters? Whatever happened to Nicodemus? As yet, we don't know. Through the course of his exchange with Jesus, he became more and more silent. If you look at it, his first paragraph has a whole bunch of words, and his next sentence, and then he's down to nothing. He doesn't have anything to say. He certainly, we don't read of him running off back to his people and telling them who he just found. And we don't see many, many people coming to know the Lord ushered into the kingdom as a result. Now, we're, we're going to hold out hope for Nick, right? We, we get some glimpses later, but we're not there yet. So we're going to hold out hope for him. But what a marked contrast he is the one we can hardly even believe needs to be born again contrasted with the one who so obviously is just a hot mess now think about the people that populate your mental list when I mention outreach because I dare say that if you're much like me Your list too is filled with a lot more Nicodemus types than it is Samaritan women. Right? We think of, we instantly think of, oh, well, the good people, right? The salt of the earth, right? People who would make fine members at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Who in here on their list you have someone with five failed marriages how many cohabitators are on your list how many alcoholics how many cheats swindlers horrible gossips how many people addicted to pain pills or to pornography are on your list Tell you, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for the harvest. Of folks who need to be told, Jesus knows all you ever did. And he offers you living water. You know, maybe the reason that the Lord has not added to our number in the way that many of us would like, is that we're spending our time and our effort, we are focused on a very narrow segment of the population that feels like us. That looks and lives and acts like us. That we think would be likely candidates usual suspects rather than truly going wide in our outreach right we're making the decision for people before they ever make it to our list oh they would never oh she would never we're making those decisions for them but i don't say this without also giving a warning See, I feel like if we were to make lists full of Samaritan men and women, they would respond much in the same way that the Samaritan woman has responded. And they would come to Jesus, and they would become our brothers and sisters, and it would be messy. It'd be uncomfortable. Because face it, by and large, the kinds of people that Jesus was comfortable with and that felt comfortable with Jesus, those are the people that make us uncomfortable. Elders, be warned, be prepared. Right? We've talked a lot about shepherding lately. Right, The frequency and intensity of shepherding conversations. <laughs> Whether you're here this morning and you think you're too unusual of a suspect, too unlikely of a candidate, if you only knew my past... Jesus knows all you ever did. And he offers you living water. Or maybe you're here and you are shocked. Maybe you're even offended at the notion that you, of all people, would need to be born again. Or maybe you're reconsidering the types of folks who are on your mental or paper list. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, may the Lord in his grace Meet us there. Let's pray. Father, that your son, the Lord Jesus, would forego earthly food because he was so excited about a woman coming into the kingdom and to know that he has that much passion and concern and love for all of us gives great hope. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come this morning in power and bring great glory to yourself. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'll stand. We'll finish this hymn that's so long it needs an intermission.